0: Welcome to Episode 4, Part 2, of the Blood and Tacos audio series. I'm your host, Sean the Pipes Norris. In this edition, we conclude the story, Texas Grad, from Max Auger's Battleground, U-S-S-A series, as discovered by Christopher Blair. Grad by Max Auger as discovered by Christopher Blair Part 2 Lieutenant Hawkerov, the general said, thank you for bringing Captain McCreely to enjoy the benefits of our workers' paradise. And thank you for enjoying my note as well. Such a brave, loyal son of Kiev. Hawker! McCreary cried softly. The sniper glanced at McCreary for the briefest of moments. What was that in his eyes? Was it shame? Were communists even capable of such an emotion? "'I am happy to do my duty for the Motherland,' Hawker said in English. "'As am I,' the general said." Azov raised his pistol, McCreary recognized it as a Nagant M1895, a seven-shot, gas-sealed revolver issued only to the top Communist Party members. Azov was the real deal, and he demonstrated it by shooting the sniper in the chest. Hawker, Hawkerov, crumpled like the traitor he was. McCreary's mind spun. Why? He asked, just as a rifle butt struck the back of his head. <clears throat> McCreary regained consciousness, pain glowing bright yellow in his skull. He tried to move his arms but couldn't. They were stretched behind his back. He opened his eyes to sunlight streaming through tall windows. McCreary recognized the office of Mayor Todd Houston. Same oak paneling, same fancy desk the size of a Mississippi River barge, but the walls were adorned with posters of proud workers facing the sky under the same backward Cyrillic letters that Hawker had translated the day before. Hawker. God damn it, Hawker. Whitefeather and Leroy were similarly seated, their arms tied behind their chairs. They were awake. Leroy had two black eyes. The scrappy little private had apparently tried to fight them off. Whitefeather didn't appear to have a scratch on him. The Russians probably knew better than to tangle with the big Indian. Other than two Russian guards at the door, they were alone. McCreary scanned the room, his eyes stopped on a huge oil painting, five feet high and three feet wide, hanging on the wall behind the desk. The painting looked like something out of the 1700s. It showed a blonde woman in a blue dress, her hair tied behind her head, standing in a field of flowers. A basket of blossoms hung from her elbow. In the distance, a Russian church with three onion domes sat under yellow clouds and a red setting sun. McCreary couldn't take his eyes off the woman. Sonny. The door to the office opened. General Azov wore a more ceremonial uniform, whatever it was that the Russians called their Class A's. His boots shone and thumped on the old oak floor, Every step, a gunshot. "'I see you're awake, Captain McCreary,' the general said. "'You seem to know me quite well,' McCreary intoned. His skull throbbed with every syllable. "'I've known all about you for years,' Azov said, pulling an olive-colored folder off his desk and opening it. "'Captain Michael Jacob McCreary, United States Air Force.' Born on March 2nd, Texas Independence Day. Eagle Scout joined the Air Force's pararescue division for training, but forced out with a knee injury obtained when rescuing a comrade from a tangled parachute line. Reassigned to the 91st Missile Wing, where you performed with distinction. Hey, how'd you know all about that? Leroy asked. Azov continued, Before assuming command of this glorious invasion of your doomed empire, I was second in command of the KGB. It was my job to know about every American missile officer. I know every detail, Captain McCreary. I followed your career and your personal life. I was amazed at the similarities of our ambitions, of our character, and most importantly, the fact that our wives appeared so... Identical. So naturally, I studied you and her with great interest. What's that supposed to mean? McCreary asked. Oh, Captain, we shall deal with that soon enough, Azov said. We are discussing a clash of civilizations. Mighty empires meeting on the field of battle our chinese allies tired of being a third rate power mother russia impatient that it has taken 70 years to bring capitalism to its knees and so we have chinese plan chang alpha 7 to erase the threat posed by the american nuclear arsenal and it worked with 99.999 Nine percent accuracy. Azov walked to Mayor Houston's liquor cabinet. McCreary remembered the cabinet from the day he'd made Eagle Scout at 17, the day Sonny had given him that chaste kiss on his cheek. That day, the mayor had toasted young Michael McCreary with a shot of whiskey. The Ruski General had replaced the mayor's Kentucky gold with bottle after bottle of Stoley. The general poured himself a glass. Our plan was foolproof, except for you. You, Captain McCreely, commander of the only American nuclear assets that were able to leave their silos on time. You who drilled your men to check and recheck their systems at all hours. "'You whose computers were constantly resetting themselves as per your orders. "'And when our blessed day arrived, "'it was your men who possessed the necessary reaction times.' "'The tone of his voice darkened. "'Still, of the five Minuteman three missiles that you launched, four were destroyed by our laser-based missile shield.' Missile shield, McCreary muttered. You got Washington to sign ours away in the last treaty. Backstabbers, Whitefeather said. We Americans always honor our treaties. Be that as it may, gentlemen, Azov continued. The only surviving Minuteman three missile. Serial number 8534-A was enough to destroy its target. My village of fertile worker fields, 15 kilometers east of Kiev. That's ludicrous, McCreary said. Americans never target civilians. The Dash A was aimed at a radar station, less than a kilometer away from my village. Azov turned and gazed at the oil painting above the fireplace and my beloved Svetlana. McCreary lowered his head and studied the planks between his boots. The day I assumed command of our hidden forces in Laredo, Azov said, waiting for our orders to invade the United States. I learned that our motherland had escaped unscathed, except for the missile that you launched. Imagine having everything you loved wiped out by the treacherous, glowing heart of an American atom. Azov, still holding his glass, walked slowly across the floor to where McCreary sat. When I heard from a minor KGB operative, Lieutenant Hockerov, That you had survived the strike on your base. I was seized with anger, a thirst for revenge, and a clarity I have not known since I was a young man. I made it my duty to take from you what you took from me. No, McCreary whispered. Conquering this section of Texas was easy, Azov said. I was then able to look at your hometown, Captain McCreary, to find your beautiful wife, to make her and all of the members of this beautiful community the beacon of socialism that my home had been. You communist bastard, McCreary spat. Azov chuckled. Do your American friends working in the fields not look happy? Do they not look fulfilled? A little hypnosis here, a little torture there. But at the heart of it all, communism is simply a fancy word for sharing. And you have been sharing your beautiful sunny, or should I say, my Svetlana, with me for the past year. Three months. His voice dropped further into an oily and sultry tone. Her skin so very soft on these lonely Texas nights. No! No! McCrory screamed. If my Moscow command knew what I was doing in this town, Azov said, they might strip me of command. All they know is that I have taken the Wrangler planes, I mean, fertile worker fields, as my command post. A staging ground for a thrust into the breadbasket of the future United Socialist States of America. But the inspired loyalty of our new comrades... My taking of a field wife. This is my personal effort. And of course you had to destroy the church, McCreary hissed. We are not animals, Captain McCreary, Azov said. We waited, and when Lieutenant Hockeroth let us know that you were in out, I decided that the church would be the perfect demonstration. The perfect incentive for you to visit us again. You've disobeyed orders, McCreary snickered. Your own superiors can't trust you. As you disobeyed orders to come here, the general said. The ice in his glass clinked. We're not that different, you and I, Captain McCreary. We love our countries. We love the warrior's path. But at the end of the day, we are men who live by our own rules. Calm down, Mike, old boy, McCreary thought. There's a way out of this. Don't let him get to you. And in his calm, McCreary's plan gelled. He could taste its humble brilliance. It tasted like freedom. That's where you're wrong, General, McCreary said. "'I'd never take another man's town, much less his wife. "'I'd never engineer a sneaky invasion of another country. "'That's not the American way.' "'Azov drained his glass and leaned forward toward McCreary. "'You Americans,' he said, "'always so idealistic.' "'Yes,' McCreary said. "'Idealistic.' And very good at untying knots. Especially us Eagle Scouts. Azov's eyes twitched in recognition that he'd made a grave error. Rope flew, and McCreary's fist circled in from the right and smashed the good general's cheekbone. Azov crashed into the desk and crumpled to the floor. McCreary stood over Azov, fists ready. Get up, you kame son of a bitch. The Russian guards at the door had already pulled their sidearms and had them leveled on McCreary. Ostonovit! One of them cried. Ostonovit! Vas Kapitalishevskaia svinya! McCrory turned to them. Go ahead. Do it, he said. Shoot me, you godless puppets. I haven't got all day. The arrows that pierced the windows of the mayor's office hit the guard's chest so quickly it appeared to McCreary that they'd burst from their hearts. Both Russians slowly sank to their knees. Still tied to his chair, Whitefeather let out a shrill cry. It's my brother Warriors, Captain. They heard my call on the spirit winds. Outside the mayor's office, three sets of dissimilar sounds rose. Russian cries of alarm, sporadic AK fire, and a hundred Comanche war whoops. McCreary had the big Indian untied in seconds. Azov was struggling to his feet, but the general collapsed again, moaning, struggling to unholster his Nagant. That was some punch, Cap, Leroy cried. Look at that Mongol bastard. He can't even stand. Whitefeather untied Leroy. They each took one of the guard's sidearms. "'You'd better do the same, Captain,' Whitefeather said. But McCreary was way ahead of him. He grabbed Azov's pistol from the general's weakened grasp. Outside, the battle raged. Through the windows, McCreary caught glimpses of action, scrambling Russian soldiers, flashes of gunfire, mounted Comanches in deerskin and full regalia, chasing them down.' gunfire, the twang of bowstrings and the thud of tomahawks, screams of panic and pain. McCreary pulled the dazed general to his feet. "'Leave him,' Whitefeather said. "'The sacred battle is joined.' "'No,' McCreary said. "'You and Leroy go. The general and I have some place to be, don't we, general?' Leroy was beside himself. Let's go, White Feather. I always wanted to be an Indian brave. And out they went, leaving McCreary and the general. On your feet, McCreary said grimly. Take me to my house. McCreary's homestead lay to the north of town, away from where the battle between the Russians and the Comanches was playing out. McCreary had to resist the urge to shoot Azov, rescue Sonny on his own, and sprint out of town. But he couldn't leave his men, and bringing Azov back alive might be the only thing that would keep General Pierce from court-martialing him on the spot. As McCreary moved Azov through the abandoned streets, they saw only flashes of action through streets and windows. Tanks rumbled. Russian APCs sped along Surrounded by bands of jogging, terrified soldiers, none of them seemed to notice that McCreary had their beloved commander at gunpoint. They neared McCreary's home. There was the mailbox painted bright white. There was the same grass, the same picket fence, the same gate, the last thing McCreary had made before shipping off to North Dakota. The only thing that was missing was the American flag that had always hung from a bracket off the porch. "'She'd better be alive,' McCreary said. The general had said nothing since leaving the mayor's office. In fact, nothing since McCreary had socked him. But now the general seemed to perk up. "'Oh, she is alive, Michael,' Azov said as he walked through the gate." If things had gone as planned, she'd be baking bread like a good Russian wife, waiting for her husband, me, to show up, to enjoy a good meal, then enjoy her afterward. Careful, General, McCreary said. Through the windows, McCreary could see that everything in the house had changed. Gone were the photos of his family of Sonny's family, the oil painting of Jesus that Sonny had painted for the state fair. Instead, McCreary could make out mostly bare walls, adorned only with the occasional image of Marks, linen, and old Papa Joe himself. Azov opened the front door. They walked inside. There was no smell of bread. Where is she? In our bedroom. McCreary responded by shoving the barrel of the Nagant between Azov's shoulder blades so hard that the general staggered toward the stairs. Up they went, one step, two, the steps creaking. In the distance, a tank fired. The house shook. My Svetlana, Azov called out. I have brought you a guest. He is so very eager to see you. They reached the top of the stairs. Down at the end of the dimly lit hallway was the door to their bedroom, where McCreary and Sonny had learned about the sacred covenant between man and wife. you will be happy to know she's been very resistant to my charms, Azov said, a few feet shy of the door. It's taken much persuasion to get her even to look at me but never without distrust in her eyes. And I must admit that she has resisted even my more skilled methods. Shut up, McCreary said. Open the door. The general obeyed. The bedroom McCreary had shared with his wife had been stripped down to three things. A four-poster bed, a Soviet flag hanging from a six-foot staff in the corner, And Sonny herself. McCreary's wife was unconscious and pale, tied on the bed, clad only in the virginal white nightgown she'd worn on their wedding night. Her hair was a curly, blonde halo around her sleeping head. He couldn't restrain himself any longer. McCreary shoved the general aside and raced to Sonny's bedside. Sonny! Sonny, it's me! It's Mac! Sonny opened her eyes. They were sunken and tired, from what McCreary didn't want to know, but they were the same bright blue. They lingered on his. He saw a flicker of recognition and a flash of red in the reflection over his shoulder. Instinct, McCreary turned and fired, again and again and again. McCreary barely registered the sight of Azov, brandishing the Soviet flagstaff as a sharpened weapon. It was a sea of red, flapping fabric, and the General's blood. Azov staggered backward, blood poured from his surprised mouth, but somehow the General lurched forward again. McCreary fired twice more, and again. Then remembering that the noggin held seven rounds, he saved the final shot for a spot right between Azov's dark, beady eyes. Azov's dying body lurched backward, his shiny boots clattering against the hardwood floor. Back he flew against the window and threw it, shattering glass and tumbling to the yard below. Sunset. McCreary carried his wife's limp form across the high school football field. He could barely take it. The unholy lines that passed on the turf at his feet. Those aren't yard lines, he thought. The goddamn Reds turned this Texas high school football field into a soccer field. Soccer! Suddenly, the sound of hoofbeats erupted. McCreary turned. Here came Whitefeather, astride of brown and white paint, with streaks across his face, the color of Russian blood. Behind him was Leroy on a gimpy palomino, and no less than a hundred Comanche warriors. In pre war life, they'd been proud working men and boys on the reservation, content to do whatever it was Indians did. But now they proudly had revived the spirits of their ancestors. The battle is ours, Captain, Whitefeather cried. The Russians didn't quite know what to make of this outfit. Well, a fitter bunch I never did see, McCreary said, happy but weary. Captain, look! Leroy held aloft a long knife. They made me an honorary engine! McCreary nodded, his eyes drifting to the dark, dripping mats that hung from their saddles. McCreary didn't want to know. We have to get moving, whitefeather said. The russians retreated, but you know they'll be back. We have to get back to general pierce and tell him what we know. The big indian turned and raised an ak47 and let loose a war whoop. Haya! <laughs> the warriors behind him responded in kind. Haya! McCreary turned and hunkered down to his wife. Did you hear that, Sonny? We have to get going. Sonny. Sonny? Lying beautifully on the grass, Sonny opened her eyes. Sonny, did you hear me? His wife smiled faintly. The end. You've been listening to the Blood and Tacos audio series, episode four, Texas Grad, by Max Auger, as discovered by Christopher Blair. Christopher Blair is a teacher, freelance writer, and former crime reporter. In addition to being raised on 10 for a dollar used paperbacks, he grew up on a nutritious diet of comic books, Stephen King stories, and pure cane sugar. Texas grad is his first published short story. This episode of the Blood and Tacos audio series was produced by John Pospisil. Theme music also by John Pospisil. Additional voices provided by Christopher Blair, Matt Green, Gabby Tanaka, Lilith Pospisil, and Polly Pospisil. And I'm your director and host, Sean the Pipes Norris. Copyright 2013, Johnny Shaw, Creative Guy Publishing, Hawks Pipes, and LZP Productions. We'll see you next time on...